maybe a little different than you're accustomed to with 1 Corinthians 13 tonight. Um, we hear this read a lot in regards to love. I've heard it read in marriage, uh, in marriage ceremonies, and that's very much appropriate. Uh, I do think Paul gives a pretty concept, comprehensive uh, definition of what love is or how love, what love looks like in practice. Um, one of the things that you may not have done, and, and I, to be honest, I haven't done that much, is, is try to hold that in the same context in which he's already spoken in chapter 12 and in the larger context of, of calling for order uh, in the Corinthian church. Apparently they were quite, quite unruly in many ways and quite, quite uh, deviating uh, from Christian practice. And Paul was really correcting some of those things. Uh, one of the reasons I wanna approach it like this tonight uh, is because it just, it just seems to me like that's the context in which Paul was writing this. Uh, I say that because in, in the very beginning of chapter 13, he, he mentions the exercise of gifts. And he's just spoken about those gifts uh, as we shared this morning. That's why I wanted to do these two messages together. Uh, but these are the very things that he's been speaking about. He begins in verse one and three, one through three, uh, with that sort of transitional phrase, phrasing there. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And then the gift of giving it. Uh, if I have give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Um, that's, why I, that's why I think when Paul is beginning now to talk about love and to describe this love, he doesn't just drop the subject. Uh, I think he must be thinking in terms of what he's just been talking about, which is the exercise of the gifts. He says at the very end of chapter 12, uh, earnestly desire the greater gifts, and he'll repeat that again, uh, spiritual, desiring spiritual gifts and even preferring prophecy in chapter 14. But then that last phrase, I'll show you still a more excellent way. And so Paul obviously is describing love in the context of these gifted, the gifting God gives the church and the exercising of those gifts. So let's read that. And I want to come back through and look at those maybe in a different way than you're uh, used to. So he goes on in verse four to write this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It does not provoke, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, here's this context again, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I has also been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Uh, I won't be lengthy tonight, but I just wanna uh, 
make this very pointed. Um, I want you to, if you write down, you can do this or you can do it in your mind. But if you've identified what you believe to be your giftedness, how has God gifted you in the body of Christ? It may be gifts of service. It may be the speaking gifts. May it be the gifts of help, generosity, compassion, mercy. Maybe a word of wisdom, maybe a word of knowledge. I want you to hold that really fast in your mind. And I want to ask you and go through what Paul says in regards to love and in some ways maybe even substitute uh, that gift uh, in that manner because I think that's what he's getting at. He says already, if I have these gifts, uh, if I have, verse 1, if I have the gifts of tongues and of angels, but I don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I, essentially, I'm exercising a gift, but I'm unintelligible. I'm just, just unintelligible. I've read somewhere before that the imagery there was also uh, in, like in a war imagery. They would sound gongs to signal the troops to do a certain thing, but now it's just, a, it's just an indiscernible and un, un, unintelligible sound, and the troops are wandering. It's ineffective. He says as well in verse 2, he has the gift of prophecy. I know all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith so as to remove mountains, but have love, I am nothing. And, and on, so on in verse 3 as well with the possessions, the gift of giving, the gift of mercy perhaps there. So these gifts are in operation, but he's saying, but there's something missing here and that is love. And so that's where I'm getting this. So whatever you identify as your gift, what you believe God has gifted you, Ask these questions of yourself tonight. He begins with love is patient. When you're exercising that gift, is it, is it manifestly patient? Uh, is it hasty? Is it impatient? Does it get irritable when it's not received? Uh, when you're in the midst of exercising that gift, is it exercised with patience? Well, he says love is patient. So if, there, if the exercise of our gift is with impatience, then the obvious answer would be it is unloving. Uh, it is unloving. So think about your gift uh, when you're exercising that gift. I think that's particularly challenging when you're flourishing, uh, whenever, whenever, you're, whenever you're being fulfilled, as it were, in the exercise of that gift, and then that gift is not received or it is, or it is misused or not appreciated in some way or disregarded as insignificant or unimportant, and we can become impatient uh, you ever tried to uh, be merciful? You ever tried to do something for someone and they just weren't appreciative at all and sometimes they weren't even receptive of that and we get impatient with that. So when you're thinking about your gifts, are they exercised with patience? Do you get frustrated when you're not allowed to exercise it to the degree or in the way that you would like to exercise it? Do you get frustrated and you get irritated and you start looking for other, other avenues to where you can express the fullness of your gift or are you exercising that gift with patience? Also in verse four, love is kind. So are you exercising that gift with kindness? Notice he gives the contrast to that and is not jealous. So are you exercising that gift that you've identified? Are you exercising that with a spirit of kindness or is there a jealousy provoked? If there's someone else that has a similar gift and, and then the, does it become a competition in your mind to see who can exercise that gift to the best or, or the best quality or perhaps someone else is exercising the gift and they're getting more acclamation or affirmation in the exercise of that gift. Is a exercising of that gift with kindness rather than jealousy? Are we looking for approval 
or we're looking for affirmation as a, as a form of satisfying self or building our own self-esteem. What's, what's riding on the exercise of that gift? Is it kindness? Uh, some gifts, I think, demand different things of us, but I think there's a way to exercise all those gifts in kindness. Even the, even the strong word of wisdom and the word of knowledge sometimes require confrontation, but there, there is an undertone with that that can be kind. It cannot be out of jealousy. It cannot be motivated by some ideal in, I, in the depths of my heart in regards to I want folks to be impressed somehow by the exercise of my gift, or, or they ought to appreciate this. They ought to show that more so. I think one of the biggest traps we fall into sometimes in the exercise of our gifts when they truly are gifts is that we get conditioned to the affirmation of men and our flesh likes that. And the next thing you know, we can find out that we're performing for affirmation and we'll put a religious cloak over that and say, well, I'm exercising my spiritual gift and it may indeed be a spiritual gift, but somewhere along the way, you're using what God has given you for the common good as a way of building up your own false self-esteem by the affirmation given to us. Affirmation is good. It's encouraging sometimes to tell a brother or a sister, I appreciate you exercising that gift in a way that is so helpful to the church. But if you happen to be the one exercising that gift, beware. Beware, because that's a trap. Uh, your pride and your flesh will hear that affirmation, be appreciative of it, and you can go away and, and you say, and it don't happen for a while, and then you start kind of missing that, and somebody else does it, and you get that satisfied feeling again, and pretty soon you're utilizing God's giftedness to you as a way of building up your own self-view or your own self-perception. Is it exercised with kindness? It is not jealous. Similarly, in verse four as well, when you're thinking of the gift that you wrote down or are thinking about in your own life, does it brag or is it arrogant? Love is not. So if, it, if love is the more excellent way to exercise these gifts and the guiding factor and motivation in the exercise of these gifts, is it producing in you an arrogance or a braggadociousness regarding the use of your gift? Do you exercise that and secretly find some satisfaction in your, in your superior abilities? Uh, that's not a way to exercise the gifts that God gives. In fact, Paul says later on in another letter, if, you, if what you have comes from God, why do you act and boast as though it didn't come from God? In other words, if you have this gift and you're exercising this gift and God is giving that a gift in effectiveness and people being ministered to by that, there's no reason, no, no justification for us to become brag, braggarts about that or arrogance in regards to that. That is the absence of love because love is not like that. So whatever your gift is, if you're exercising that out of love, there should be no arrogance involved in the exercise of that gift. And I think that's where you have to be uh, looking to the Lord to expose those secret sins of pride in our hearts in the exercise of gifts. I think a lot of, a lot of conflict in churches could be avoided if, there, if this kindness and this love was guiding, the, the, especially the exhortational and the teaching gifts in the church sometimes. Sometimes there's a competition that develops and people are more than happy to choose up sides in those things. Well, that's not an operating of those gifts with love. Uh, I, I was thinking about this. Does that mean that God will not use a truthful exhortation to, to minister to someone? 
No, I don't think it rules that out. If I'm speaking truth, it may, God may give it application in your life and the Holy Spirit may take that and become sanctifying for you. But I, there is no good in it for me at all and no glory to God in regards to my use of that gift in my own sense because I was using it without love. And I think that's the thing that kept coming to me through this passage. Love is this, is this ethos or this this motivation that is to saturate all the gifts as they're being exercised. Take that away and they're just, they're just God-given abilities used to, to subordinate or to support, if it's probably a better word, our own selfish pride. So is the exercise of your gift without bragging and without arrogance? Does the exercising of that gift that you've identified act unbecomingly? Is it exercised in a way that's inconsistent with the glory and the goodness and the grace of the one who gave it? In other words, if I'm exercising this gift in ways contradictory to the very nature of the one who gave the gift and for the purpose for which he gave the gift, then it is not operating out of love. There's no love involved in that. It does, it's acting unbecomingly. Uh, we ought to really be sober, especially if you've really identified an area where God has particularly gifted you for service in the body of Christ. Um, we ought to be particularly mindful uh, of that, of this particular element, how it acts. Does it act in ways that glorify God? There is a tr way of speaking the truth, but there is a way of speaking the truth that honors the one who gives the truth, who is God. It is, not, it is not my gift to use at my discretion and where I want and according to my own whims. It is the gift of God whereby he has equipped each of you and each of us to be, to be ministering to the body for its common good, which is ultimately, as I shared this morning, our transformation to the image of Christ. So whatever your gift is, does it act becomingly or is it acting unbecomingly? If it's acting unbecomingly or inconsistent with the nature of the giver, and the gift itself, then it is not being used in love. Does it seek its own? Verse 5, when you exercise that gift, is it seeking its own? That could be applied, I think, to, to is it accomplishing some goal for me, some fleshly goal or some carnal appetite? Is it satisfying some secret lust in my own heart? Is it seeking its own? Am I exercising the gift for my own benefit? to bring accolades to me or bring acclamation or affirmation or somehow to elevate me in the eyes of my brothers and sisters, to give me a, a prominent place among the brethren. I, I realize that Paul says in chapter 14, he emphasized prophecy, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but most of all prophecy. I think that's because every, all the other gifts exercising are being guided or, or to be governed and to be evaluated through the word of God. It is a premier, premier giftedness is the word of God. But, I, but, uh, but are we using that word to elevate, our, elevate ourselves to a higher platform, to a noticeability, to a recognition among our brothers and sisters, to a, to a pointing and saying like they did with the Pharisees with their long robes and their tassels and they loved the greetings in the marketplace. They, they elevated themselves up through their gift of teaching there and they loved that. They were, it was feeding their lustful appetites for recognition and superiority. Are you, are you exercising your gifts so that you might be recognized or pointed out or elevated or esteemed more highly among the body of Christ because of those gifts? 
I think those are more likely to occur maybe in the speaking gifts or in the more public gifts. They're not as likely maybe to occur in the quietly carried out gifts, those gifts of service where nobody maybe ever knows what you're doing. But those of you who have the speaking gifts and the more public gifts, be particularly guarded and be particularly aware of the possibility that it can be being exercised for the, for the sake of our own self-esteem, our own gratification, or our own self-exaltation. Love does not operate that way. Think about that gift that you have in your mind. When you're operating in that gift and you are utilizing and exercising that gift in the context of the body of Christ, is there a genuine desire in the exercise of that gift for the good of those who are being recipients of what that gift is producing? Is there a genuine desire that through the exercise of that gift that they would get a clearer view of Christ and be drawn nearer to Christ and be elevated in Christ? Is that priority in the exercise of that gift? It ought to be if it's being guided by love. Paul speaks of us preferring one another, preferring others over ourselves, their good over ours. So it does not seek its own. Uh, the provocation is a, is a little different. Uh, are you exercising that gift as a matter of provocation? Um, it's not love. Uh, I thought about this in several different ways, but the one that came to my mind most specifically was the idea that I, I have this gift, I recognize this gift, but I'm very, I'm very judicious in the expression of this gift. I choose, I choose when I will exercise my gift. And if you push me far enough, I'll really exercise it hard. Uh, is, it, is it easily provoked? Is it, is it subject to your personal whims or the environment around you? Or is it consistently exercised with the same spirit of love in every context? Is it easily provoked? Is it, does it give itself over to being manipulated by the desires or the, or the inclinations of others or any sort of outward manipulation? Or is it you in obedience to Christ, in obedience to God, to exercise those gifts for the glory of God in love, being consistently willing to utilize those gifts? I've, 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 I've talked to folks before and I've, I've seen it in myself Sometimes that there is a fleshly tendency to withhold the exercise of my gift if you don't live up and are worthy of it. In other words, if it's not appreciated, if it, if it isn't acknowledged, if it isn't, if it isn't responded to, if you're not going to listen, why should I tell you? And like I said this morning, Isaiah would have had a hard problem, a hard time with that gift because nobody was listening. And when they did listen, they just got madder and harder of heart and they were rejecting everything he said. So Isaiah should have said, you know what? This is my gift. And if you don't appreciate it and it doesn't mean anything to you, I'm not gonna share it with you. I'll go find some people that'll listen to me. Uh, that, that seems to me like a provocation. And so if in, in the context of this, love does not exercise, love does not govern the exercise of those gifts that God gives in that manner. They exercise those gifts in obedience and in love. Does it take into account a wrong suffered? Uh, sometimes in the exercise of the gift, you'll get rebuffed. Uh, this is a big one sometimes, but sometimes it's misunderstood, particularly if it's not a common gift in, the, in our fellowship. It may, it may come across as offensive. Well, I've never seen that before. I don't like the way you did that. <laughs> I, don't like the way you ex I don't like the way you exercised your gift. And someone is offended by that, or you're offended that they are offended by the way you exercise your gift. Love is not like that. 
In fact, I think honest love and the honest exercise of gift, if it received that kind of response, it would evaluate immediately. Did I, did I exercise this with a wrong spirit? Was I really loving these folks? Did, did something leak through in the way that I exercised it that undermined the very, the very ministry that the gift was intended to provide? Am I, uh, in, in layman's terms, was I a jerk in the exercise of my gift? Well, that might have been what, what provoked uh, someone to rebuff you or to reject you. So, but love does not, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Even if you exercise that gift with right motivations and a loving heart and it was rebuffed or, or rejected or pushed back against and unappreciated, love doesn't take that into account. It doesn't say, well, I'm not, I'm not talking to you anymore. It doesn't take it into account. It recognizes that the gift is God's given, God's gift for the transformation of the body of Christ into Christ's likeness. And people to varying degrees will be open and receptive to that gift. And you just consistently keep exercising that gift. Always evaluating our own heart's motive in the way that we're using those gifts. I think sometimes even if I have a gift, if my heart is is prideful and arrogant, I would be better off for, on my part to keep my mouth shut until, until I go to the Lord and let the Lord work out the issues in my heart to bring, to bring that gift to bear as it ought to, have be, ought to be. So love is not provoked. So I'm assuming tall means here in the exercise of gift, the love is not provoked. It doesn't take into a wrong suffered. Certainly the exercise of gift does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. So when we exercise those gifts, if the product of that or if the, if the emphasis of that is to bring about a transformation and a righteousness within the body of Christ, when it sees as a response of that or in the light of that unrighteousness, it doesn't rejoice in that. I mean, that would sound like, well, I'm rejoicing simply because I exercised the gift. No, I think the gift rejoices when it is effective, when we see God use the gift and God brings to bear the truth in the lives of others and, and it produces a righteousness in their lives and we rejoice in what God has produced there. Uh, the true exercise of the gift wants that. Uh, I'm convinced that there are times when we say things to people that we don't care a whole lot about that are true and we don't really care whether they believe it or whether they're transformed or saved by that or not. We just, we just going to tell them like it is. And that's that motivation. There's no love in that at all. In fact, there's hatred in that. I don't like you and I'm going to be blunt with you and I'm not holding back any punches with you, not because you need firm rebuke and I love you and recognize that because I don't really like you and I don't care what you think about me. Love does not operate that way. And the exercises of gifts in that way is not loving. And Paul says, if you exercise those gifts without that, you are a clanging symbol and you are as nothing. And I really do think it weighs into our effectiveness. On the contrary, verse 6, what does love do? It rejoices with the truth. It speaks the truth with the loving, with the loving heart, even in, in, even in firm rebuke at times, it speaks the truth. And when the effect of that truth is, to, is by the Holy Spirit to bring conviction and transformation and alteration in the sinful life of another or brother or sister, we rejoice in that. Not because we were instrumental in it, but because there is a brother or sister who has been turned away from a path that led to much destruction and much dishonor of God. In many ways, as James says, we turn a sinner from their way. We save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So when you exercise your gift, does it rejoice in unrighteousness or does it rejoice with truth? 
I like verse 7, but the exercise of the gift, if it's in love, bears all things. Uh, you know as well as I do in the exercise of any of those gifts, sometimes it takes, it takes patience and determination to continue to do that because it's not always appreciated. And to be quite honest with you, sometimes I'm under construction and God is teaching me how best to utilize the gift that he has given me. <clears throat> sometimes, sometimes I utilize it in ways that are not effective. And God says, well, there's a problem here, Larry. And it may be a heart problem or it may simply be a, a method problem. Maybe there's a better way to exercise that gift. So he's always cultivating that gift in us. And so, so it bears all things. Sometimes it's not received. Sometimes it is received. Sometimes it's misunderstood. It doesn't stop exercising. It doesn't stop getting cultivated. And it doesn't stop loving people when it doesn't, when it, when it doesn't work out the way we hoped it would. I think I told the story about a classmate of mine in Fruitland, but he had this recurring dream um, that, he, that he was being led out into this park and he thought he was going to the, some great big church to share some message. And when he gets to the end of the destination, there's one guy sitting on a park bench and he wakes up at that moment and he's been confused. And we were just talking, just casual conversation. And he made reference to that. And he said, the weird thing is I keep having this dream and I, I don't, I didn't have any divine unction or anything or any inclination that I was speaking any kind of word of prophecy or anything, but I just, it just came to my mind. I said, well, what if that's God through a dream telling you, are you willing to preach to one or 10,000? Everybody wants to preach to 10,000, but are you willing to preach to one? Are you willing to walk into a park to do it? And, and it must have sunk and hit him. The Lord used that to hit him in a, in a very real way. And he left school and he never came back. So I don't know if his conclusion was, no, I'm not willing to preach to one or what his conclusion was. So the exercise of gift bears all things. I don't know what's going to be produced when we're exercising that gift. And sometimes it won't be desirable and sometimes it won't be comfortable. Sometimes it won't be very easy at all. But it does. Love bears those things. It bears those things. It believes all things. I think the exercise of the gift, if it's loving, believes all things. It believes that God has given me the gift. It believes that God has given me the gift for the good, common good of the body. It believes that God can sanctify me, set me apart in the use of that gift. It believes that this gift is for the glory of God and the manifestation of his glory in the church. Believes all things. The gift is not irrelevant. It is not insignificant. That ties into what I was saying this morning. The nursery worker exercising their gift of mercy and compassion and and caring should be just as convinced that God is using that gift as the preacher in the pulpit. I mean, they should, should have the same convictions. They should be believing all things. Love does that. Love does that. And sometimes we believe the worst about people, even in the sharing of our gifts. You share maybe the word of God with somebody and they respond in such a way that says your inclination fleshly is to say they're so hardened to the word of God, there's no way they'll ever come to know Jesus Christ. Love doesn't do that. Love says, if I get another opportunity, I'll share the gospel with them again. I love them. I love the Lord. I want them to know the Lord. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes along those lines as well, all things, and endures all things. So just in those few verses, when you think about the exercising of your gift, if you're exercising it in love, which Paul says is a more excellent way, is it, is it reflected by that? Does does love manifest itself in the way that you exercise those gifts? Uh, I think the, one of the worst things we could do is do a spiritual gift study, uh, identify our gifts, 
and then, and then just rest in ourselves. Well, I got it. It just comes natural to me. God gave it to me. And we just run around steamrolling everybody with the exercise of our gifts. That is ungodly. That is not glorifying to God. And that is certainly not loving. And I think that's why Paul says after talking about the gifts, yes, God has given us everyone gifts. And he gives us much instruction in regards to God giving those gifts. And then immediately on that, he says, look, desire those spiritual gifts. They are necessary to the health and the maturity of the body of Christ. So church, yes, earnestly desire those things, but let me show you a more excellent way. Desire those things, but embrace those things and exercise those things in this kind of love. And I would suggest to you that this is a supernatural love. That it's, this is not the love generated among the fleshly and selfish passions of men. This is a divine love. In fact, Jesus says, this is how they will know you're my disciples when you love like I have loved you. This is the love of Christ flowing through his people, through the exercise of the gifts he gives them themselves to the end that they grow into the maturity and stature of Jesus Christ. That's what they're for. And if they're exercised apart from love, they're undermining their own purpose. And they're certainly not glorifying the giver. So it has huge implications in regards to how we're exercising our gifts. Now, I know that's an ongoing thing. It is for me. You know, like I said, I, I've had situations where I was frustrated and I utilized the area of my giftedness and, and was harsh with that, deliberately harsh. In fact, deep in my heart, heart of hearts, my reason for being harsh was I don't want to talk to you again. And if I'm harsh enough, you won't ever want to talk to me again. And that's just how subtly we can be harsh with someone. Well, I knew immediately that is not love operating in that gift. And even if it may have had an effect by God's providential hand in their lives, I went away disappointed and saddened and discouraged at my, and, and ashamed of my own carnality using the very thing that God had given me for the common good, but ashamed of my carnal use of that very thing. That's what's so stunning about this. So why is love so important? As I've already mentioned, it is the love of God poured out in our hearts through Christ, in Christ through the Holy Spirit. But look what he says about love in verse 8. It never fails. Never fails. I love this because he says here, if they are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away with at a certain point. Prophecy will, will not be needed. There will be a time when it'll... It'll be fulfilled. It'll be a consummation of the ages and there'll be no need for that. It'll be done away with. If there's knowledge, it'll be done away with and tongues, they will cease. All these are gifts that are exercised towards this maturity in Christ, towards this consummation and the fulfilling of all things. And even me, it's right now they're in place and they're being exercised as gifts in the church because we know in part and we prophesy even in part. We don't know everything. But he says, verse 10, but when the perfect comes, that partial would be done away with. And he gives the analogy here. When I was a child, I did what child did children do. I spoke with like a child. I thought like a child. I even reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I didn't maintain those childish ways. Why? Because th those, that maturity had been reached. I was no longer needed to speak and think and reason like a child. I'm a man now. I can put away now that reasoning. It's no longer necessary for me to utilize that. And he seems to be thinking in terms of the gifted, these, these gifts in the church in the same way. He says, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now we know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have also been fully known. 
And then he closes with this, but now faith, hope, love abide these three. These three abiding. That's what's happening now, but the greatest of these is love. So if Paul says the greatest of these is love, he certainly wouldn't expect us to be exercising these gifts that are in the temporal sense until the fulfillment of all these things happen without that thing. Now abide these three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these, he says, is love. Everything else is going to fulfill its purpose, but love will never fail. Love will be there when all the prophecy has been fulfilled and all the word of knowledge has been revealed and all things are known and we are known fully, even as we know fully, even as we are known fully. When all those days are coming, love will be the prevalent, the prevalent glory in the presence of God. And so how could we be exercising these gifts absent of that? It really is stunning and striking to me. Uh, I wanted to close with just his statement in the chapter of 14. Uh, the very first verse. So he says, pursue love. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And he's going to introduce that whole discussion in regards to the tongues and the church and the prophesying and the importance of the word. And I think Paul categorizes it that way because everything stems from the word. If you have the gift of helps, how do you guide that gift without the word? If you have the gift of compassion, if you have the gift of service, if you have the gift of giving, if you have the gift of wisdom, how do you, how do you define, how do you guide or determine and what parameters uh, do you understand that gift? Is it just, just natural inclination and you just say brilliant, wise things if you have that gift? Or is it guided by the word? Paul understands that the word is central to the exercise, loving exercise of all the gifts. In fact, you're learning about these through the word. And so we can't exercise those gifts apart from the Word of God. So there is a study and an and a intent meditation and study upon the Word of God. But mostly, he says in, this, in that very first phrase in chapter 14, pursue love. Pursue love. And you think about just for a matter of experience, if someone utilizes, I'll just use for instance, a word of, uh, a word of wisdom, and they utilize that in your life uh, out of love, out of concern for you, for the glory of God, for you to come to know God, and, and they bring a word of wisdom that stings you a little bit as a believer. Uh, don't you appreciate that? You might not feel it in the moment, but you look back at that and you realize that did sting. But you know something that I'm encouraged by? That brother loved me. And a lot of brothers wouldn't love me enough to say that to me. And he said it firmly, but he didn't say it meanly or harshly. And God used that instrumentally to bring about sanctification in my life. And I've been liberated from that error in my thinking through that word of wisdom. So thank you, brother, for exercising that gift. And, and to me, the added force of that was that it was exercised in love that was obvious, evident. And that brother perceived that. It didn't come across to him as, as arrogant or superior or down, pushing you down, or in any way like that, it came across as legitimately loving activity and an exercise of gift that God had given someone, and it made all the difference in that other person's life. You could use any example you wanted to do, but I think what Paul's saying in chapter 13 is more than, it's more than just a universal, sort of a comprehensive description of what love looks like in action. It is that. But I think he means that in the context of the exercise of the God-given gifts 
of every member of the church as we fellowship together. So you think about that as we, uh, and I thought the reason this is so important, uh, one reason or of, of many reasons, because you take all of us in this room, uh, believers, everyone's been given a gift, but none of us have been sanctified completely. We're not glorified. And so we're all still having these little battles with the flesh along the way. We can find ourselves getting in the flesh. So here God gives these supernatural gifts to all these imperfect people. And, and their tendency is going to be to use them according to their own desires, according to their own best wishes or their own best wisdom. And so they're going to be bumping around and stripping over each other all the time. We're going to be bumping into heads, contradicting one another, coming up against what well, that's the potential of the exercise of these gifts among imperfect men. And that drives them, I think, ultimately to Christ. And I think that's why love is so critical because that's going to happen. That's going to happen in the church when there are folks who are not yet glorified exercising these gifts. There's going to be contention along the way. But if love is undergirding that, then the contention itself becomes contributing factor to the maturity of the church itself. Because when those conflicts come, it demands of you something that you don't have in yourself. And you'll have to go to Christ. You'll have to go to God to find that. And that's where you'll find transformation happening. It's when we turn to God to provide for those things that we've finally concluded that we don't have in ourselves. And it's in that context where I think this love is so critical. So thank you for that, uh, being here for that conclusion. But stand with me tonight and we'll be dismissed and you can spend some time fellowshipping. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the love of Christ for us. And Lord, I confess that sometimes we get caught up in the moment and perhaps in the exercise of our gifts or whatever those are and, and we sort of take them to ourselves as though they're just natural things to us and Lord I pray that through your word we'll be reminded that they were gifts, gifts of grace in fact Paul in Ephesians calls them graces and Father they were graces given to us for your, for your purpose, you are working to your ends, you are working according to your will and distributing as you will so Father these are these gifts that we've identified, Father, these are yours. They were given to us. And, Father, it seems unthinkable that we would exercise them apart from the love that comes to us in Christ Jesus as well. So, Lord, we confess that we are wrong in many ways often in the exercise of these gifts. And we ask that you would help us, Lord, to be mindful, especially when we feel compelled and almost instinctively about to exercise in, in an area of our giftedness, Father, that we might pause for just a moment and ask ourselves, is this love? Is this consistent with the love of Christ in our lives? Thank you for those who've gathered tonight. Father, thank you for every gift represented here. Every, every person here with their gifts is an indication that you intend to bring this body of believers to maturity. And Lord, we're thankful for that promise and that hope. And Lord, we just pray that you would, by your spirit and by your truth, cause us to be yielding to that growth all the time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.